Good morning. We're, uh, we're in the second week of a series that we're doing on our, our words. And we, last week we've been looking at the idea of the power of our words. And we kind of compared that our tongue is very much like a dragon, as it's described in the book of James. And so we looked at that. And um, this week we're really kind of talking more about the connection between where these words actually come from. Like, what, is it just arbitrary, random words? And so... Um, as you've joined us, I, I'm excited that you've, that you've come to worship with us. This is our second week doing two services. And so I caught a lady that was coming to this service, and she said it's kind of hard because, you know, you see the group leaving from the first service. And so up for the last three years, we've been together as one group. And so, you know, having two services definitely is a, it's a, it's an adjustment. I think emotionally, just, knowing that you're not always going to see everybody and all of that. And so, but I, I'm especially excited about the opportunity that God's giving us to, to reach out and, and to include more people in what we're doing. And so um, let's pray together as we launch into this message. Father, I just want to pause to thank you for bringing us here. Lord, we thank you for most for your word, Lord, and how it speaks so directly to our lives. Lord, we ask that you'd use it, God, to... Um, to identify things in our perspective that may need adjusting, to deal with things at the very core of who we are, Lord. We pray, we just invite you to speak to us, Lord. We open ourselves up to you, and we, we ask that you'd block any distractions, anything that would keep us from being able to hear from you and to um, see how your word connects to our lives. And, Lord, we also ask that you'd help us not just to, just to listen and to spectate, but, Lord, we pray that we would be very much willing to allow you to Move us to action, Lord. So we, we ask you for the, um, the power to obey you, God, as you bring things up in our lives and about our words and our hearts, Lord, as we look at those things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's good to see all of you. And we, as Taylor said, we do want to get rid of those donuts. So um, that wasn't just a pitch. Like, we really need to get rid of them because otherwise I'm going to be eating more than I need. And so please... If, if you stick around, you might even get a box, and so you can heat those up, and those are really good warm. We had a warm pair when we were um, picking up the boxes, and it was amazing. So um, anyway, get off track there. But you can pull out if you'd like. There's a listening guide, and kind of follow along as we walk through this message. And at the very top, you see this phrase, our words have such great potential, both good and bad. Therefore, we've got to learn how to harness our tongues. We need to figure out how to control the tongue. The tongue is very much like an unharnessed dragon. That's what James describes it as. It's something that's unbridled, uncontrollable. It cannot be tamed, the scripture said. And so, since they have such great potential, we really have to figure out how do I get a grip on this thing so that I don't destroy? Because there's great potential, like it says. I can do great things with my mouth and with my words. I can build people up. I can encourage, I can bless, I can sing praises, I can... But on the other hand, I can tear people down, I can damage reputations, I can really hurt people long, long term if I just let my words go. And so, Proverbs 18.21 was kind of the springboard verse we used last week. I want to remind you of it. The tongue, it says, has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love it, meaning the more you use it, the more you use it, you're going to eat the fruit of your tongue, both for good and for bad. One man, he described the tongue as the world's smallest but largest troublemaker. The world's 
sorry, smallest but largest troublemaker. It kind of reminds me of that complex, the, the little man complex. You've probably heard of that before where a little guy like me has a big mouth, gets himself into trouble. I think this is the root of it. It's, it's the words. It's, it's, you know, someone goes running off at the mouth and gets himself into trouble. Look at how James describes it. Just looking again at what James says. James 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Now catch this. It says it corrupts the whole person. This little part of our body corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. You see how he addresses, it says whole two times in there. This little tiny part of the tongue can set the direction for all of us. The whole course of our life, the whole person is affected. And so we've got to figure out, how do I get this under control? How do I harness my tongue so that I'm not just doing damage carelessly to people? Uh, Eugene Peterson, he's a pastor and he's a writer. He put together um, the message, which is a contemporary, it's a paraphrase of the Bible. And it's, it's the Bible in contemporary English. And here's how he puts James 3, 5 through 6. Take a look. It says, A word out of your mouth, it may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything. Or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the whole world, turn harmony to chaos. How many times have you done that? You know, things are going great. I say a few things and it just disrupts the whole mess. Throw mud on a reputation. It can hurt others. It sends the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. So because of its great power, we can't just afford to let words fly off our tongue. We've got to figure out how do I get control over this thing. A few thoughts from last week. Our words impact our future. They're tied to our future. What we do, or I'm sorry, what we say will determine the course of our life. Look at Proverbs 13:3. He who guards his lips guards his life. So the, the, the advice there is watch, watch what comes out. A guard, a security guard, monitors what comes in and out. We, we really ought to think about guarding, securely guarding what we allow to come out. That not every thought that passes into our head needs to actually be spoken, right? We need to learn to, another verse talks about setting a gate over my lips. You know, this idea of, I really need to sometimes lower the gate rather than expressing the thought that's, on my, that's, that's in my mind and about to fly off my tongue. First goes on and says, but a deceitful tongue, it crushes the spirit. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead, but it says, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. That's what the verse goes on to say. And the, the picture there of a person who speaks rashly, literally it means their, their mouth is open wide. It's like... Thoughts just flying right out. And you're just, and we've all done that. And then later we walk away and we're like, man, why did I say that? How could I have done that? If I, oh, now i got to go make, make it right. Or sometimes we think I can't make it right. I just, it gets us in all sorts of trouble. It really does direct the course of our future. Another thing is our words, we looked at this last week also, our words impact our relationships. Family relationships, roommates, coworkers. Look at what this says, Proverbs 15, 4. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. So our tongue can actually be a source of strength. It can be a source of growth for other people. People can 
learn from us, if we use our tongue wisely. But, it says, a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. A perverse, deceitful tongue. It can do great harm to other people. It can divide. Think about your relationships and just think about damaged relationships and how many of them, you might have broken relationships because of words you said. I know that has been the case in my life. I'm like, man, why did I say that? That just strained everything in that relationship. And now I've got to rebuild for, for months sometimes. Word has, our words have great impact. But not only just on our life and the lives of others, what I want to look at a little more closely today is how our words actually impact God. They impact Him. Scripture says this in James 3, verse 9 through 12. We kind of looked at this verse here, but we're going to move on. It says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. So we have this ability to praise and curse out of the same you know, out of the same thing. It says, verse 10, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. James is, is dealing with a tension that he expresses several times in the book of James. It's this tension of what should be and what really is. He's saying, is this really shouldn't be. How can we, you know, he's saying, we sing praises. And this is like what we do in church. We sing praises. We worship. We might encourage someone, build someone up. And then no sooner leaving the door, getting onto the road, someone cuts us off, we have the ability to just cuss them out. They can't hear you, but they can see our mouth moving. Or our kids act up and we're like, man, and we just let them have it. It's incongruent. And what, what God is trying to say here is it, it doesn't, it's not fitting. Praise and cursing from the same mouth. Look at verse 11. He gives these three illustrations to just prove a point here. He says this, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? What's the answer there? No, it's, it's, it's impossible. Verse 12 says, My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? What's the answer? Again, no. Absolutely not. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. These things are impossible. James is trying to just get at the fact that it's incongruent. It's inconsistent with... It's inconsistent when we begin to tear people down with the praise that sometimes flows from our mouth. Jesus actually really honed in on this. He gave some strong, strong warnings. One is found in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, where he's talking to a group of Pharisees. Jesus had just healed a man that was being tormented by demons. And so Jesus heals this man, removes a demon from him. And these religious leaders, they come against Jesus and they said, by, you know, they're asking him, by what authority did you just deliver this man? They were basically trying to say it was from the authority of, of the devil or Satan that Jesus cast this demon out. And Jesus is like, how could that be possible? He says, a kingdom divided against itself, it can't stand. He's saying, why would, why would Satan allow me to deliver a demon from someone? He's saying, this is impossible. He's saying, I'm doing good. He gives, a weird, he gives this answer to, uh, to, this, to these questions that he's getting. And at the end of his explanation for what he was doing, he gives this warning to the Pharisees, but also I think it's a warning to us. Matthew twelve thirty six. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Kind of a scary warning, I think. To me it is. I'm not exactly sure how this is going to go down, but our words and our deeds will be brought forward when we meet God. Hebrews four thirteen kind of communicates the same idea. It says this, Nothing in all creation 
will be hidden from God's sight, but everything will be uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So we will all face God, and we'll have to give an account for the words that we used. And, it's, and what Jesus is saying, he's, I want to warn you as far as careless words, just being lazy with what we say, we're going to have to answer for those things. And for those of us who've decided to follow Christ, when that day comes and we meet God, the fear might come up like, well, does that mean I'm not going to get to spend eternity with him? If you've decided to follow him with your, with your life, you've yielded your life to Jesus Christ, <clears throat> then it's his righteous work that he did on the cross that saves us. It's, we're saved by his works and not ours. It's not by our words, not by our deeds. And so for those of us who've yielded our lives to him and accepted the, the penalty that he paid on the cross, then we get to spend eternity with him. We are forgiven of our sins. But Scripture says nothing in all creation will be hidden from God's sight. Everything will be uncovered and laid bare. Like, we'll have to give an account for our words, for our deeds. And I think sometimes we think, oh, it's just going to, I'm going to arrive at that moment, at moment and it's going to erase, magically erase um, having to answer for my life. He'll, he'll actually speak up for us through his finished work on the cross, and it's enough. But we have to give an account. We'll have to give an account for what we do with our lives. And this, this is a sobering thought because of how much we like to talk. And, what, and as, as someone who talks for part of my you know, living, this is even more sobering to me, I think. And this is why James addresses... There's a verse in James 3.1 that says, Not many of you should, should presume to be teachers. He's, because you're going to have to say a lot. And you've got to be careful because you'll be judged for what you say. I don't know about you, but I'd rather eat less of my words on that great day. I want to get a grip on my mouth. Right now, as I'm moving forward in life, I don't want to have to eat more of my words. David, one of the kings of Israel, he actually he, he caught something in, in his observation. And he communicated to us in Psalm chapter 19. And I don't have the whole passage up on the screen for you, but... We're going to look at the last verse of Psalm 19, verse 14. But it kind of still gets at the same idea. This is the goal for our speech. Uh, David, it was like he was looking up at the sky and he sees everything in nature. And actually, we sang a song um, about just our our words. And and also, we sang, I'm trying to remember, what was the second song we just sang? Can someone look? Famous one, yeah. It says, the heavens declare you're glorious, right? We sang that to God. The heavens declare the praises of the Lord. Like, David was expressing that. That's where that song came from that we just sang. And it's interesting. David was, was looking at nature, and he was saying, nature, the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, these things express praise to God. They express truth about God. And so that's what we get in Psalm 19. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim. This is all about communication, which is what we're looking at. They proclaim the work of his hands. Day and day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Speaking of his creation still, of God's creation, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. And it goes on, verse 6, it rises 
speaking about the sun, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So he's, he's saying, as I look at God's creation, it just speaks continual praise. The communication is God is right, he's true. Then verse 7, he shifts and he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And he just Now he starts talking about God's, how he's revealed himself through the scripture. And through he, he's revealed himself to us. And we have the scripture to be able to tell us what is right about God and what is true about God. So he, David's first looking at nature and he's saying, God, this all declares, it communicates that you are true and you are right and you are praiseworthy. And then he's saying, in your word... What you've communicated to us, it is also true, it's right, it's praiseworthy, it lines things up for us. So he sees this flow and then he gets down to his life and he makes this statement in Psalm 19:14. This is really the goal. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's saying, I want to line up with the pattern of communication. Nature communicates that God is true and right. You've already communicated that to us. And he's saying, I want my words to be pleasing. I want to be in line with what is right when it's communicated. May the words of my mouth, this is a goal, everything that comes out, that it would be pleasing to you, O God. It has been estimated that the average person engages in 30 conversations a day, enough to fill a book with 50 to 60 pages. Some of us are above average, you know. But... But most, on the most part, you know, we say a lot, which can get us into a lot of trouble, can't it? And like I said earlier, we might just think, oh, it's just random. It just, thoughts come to my mind, and I say them. But what we find out is that that's not the truth. Jesus actually pointed out that these words that we say are connected to something. And this is what we find out in Scripture. The words we speak flow directly from the heart. There's a connection between what I say and what's in the core of who I am. There's a strong connection. Looking back at that passage from where Jesus is addressing the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 35, he's warning the Pharisees. And he gives an illustration. In the process, he exposes the truth about the nature of our heart. Let's look at that together. It says, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. He uses this illustration and he's saying a tree and its fruit correspond. A good tree is going to produce good fruit. A bad tree is going to produce bad fruit. And he's answering the question that they asked him. How did you do this miracle? Did you do it from the power of Satan? And he's saying, you know, a tree produces, a good tree produces good. And he's saying, I just did something good. That could not have been produced out of evil from Satan himself. And he begins to accuse this group of self-righteous religious leaders of their lives and some false communication that they had just blasted them, him with. So look at what he says. He charges them in this way. Verse 34, he says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? Now he's talking to religious leaders, and he just calls them deceptive people. You brood of vipers? You're deceptive people. Who, he's saying you're, you're causing harm for people. You're trying to... Display what is true, but then people, they get close to you and they actually buy into something that's false. 
He says, how can you who are evil say anything good? And then here's the line that I encourage you to, to underline if you can. It says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He makes the connection between the mouth and the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever the heart is full of will overflow through the mouth. The picture here in the original language is that our heart is actually brimming over constantly. It's constantly brimming, brimming and overflowing. And so our words are just responding out of the heart. We're just speaking out of the heart constantly. Verse 35, the good man brings good things out of the good that's stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up. So there's this storage, there's this treasury of our hearts. Inside of our hearts, it's like we're storing up this treasury of our ambitions, our desires, our thoughts. And it's just this reservoir. And like, like I mentioned last week, every time we open our mouth, we're dipping down into our heart. Reaching into our heart, and out comes what we communicate from our heart. It's not at random. The person who harbors bitterness against someone will eventually express that bitterness. It's, it's going to come out if it's in our heart. The person who's filled with lustful thoughts will eventually express crude or suggestive remarks. It will find its way out. The person who's persistently angry and hateful will sooner or later put those feelings into words. And on the other hand, the good side of this is the person whose heart is loving and kind and considerate, and whose, whose heart is full of those, those fruit, the good fruit, that stuff will express itself out in words as well. It's both for good and for bad. Now, the scary part about this connection between our mouth and our heart is what the Bible reveals about our heart. This is probably what's most frightening to me. Look at this. It's, the Bible tells us that three problems in the heart drive our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. We've got these embedded heart problems that we all have as humans. And this is why our tongue is so difficult to tame. The first one is this. This is something in all of our hearts is selfishness. This is the first heart problem that we all have. Everyone in this room, every human. Proverbs 22:15. It says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. The word folly... The original language means a stubborn, determined self-centeredness. So folly, or stubborn, determined self-centeredness, is bound in the heart of the child. So every child has this selfishness, this folly, as it's called here, that we operate from as a little kid. And you know this. If you have kids or if you've seen kids, you see kids that have basically expressed this phrase that you see on the screen, I want what I want. When I want it. We've all said this to some extent. And as kids, we learn this. I want that cracker. Right? I want it right now. I want it now. And if you stand in my way, I want it. I want it. Kids, we learn, we learn this. And as adults, we still know this, don't we? The scripture says that we deal with this folly that's bound up in our heart, this selfishness. But the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. It's, it's saying that it's, it's a parent's challenge to drive back the selfishness that we have as children. And sometimes our parents do a really good job of helping us deal with the selfishness in our heart so that as adults we can learn to get past ourselves and begin to consider others. But sometimes our parents haven't done the greatest job of disciplining us, and so we're just used to getting what we want. And so as adults, we still, I want what I want when I want it. We still have the selfishness. 
And if it's not trained out of us, it will create lifelong problems for us as adults. For those of you who are parents, this is one of our jobs, to train out the folly. To help work and challenge the folly, the selfishness. But this is in us. This is in me. Another heart problem is this. The scripture says that we have arrogance in our hearts. So not to mention we have selfishness. Now we, have, we believe we, can, we should get what we want. Look at Ecclesiastes 9.3. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil. And there is madness in their hearts. That phrase, and there is madness in their hearts. The word madness, how Layla, it means self-praise. There's self-praise in all of our hearts. And it goes on, while they live, and afterward they join the dead. So we have madness, we have arrogance in our hearts while they live, meaning it's a lifelong heart problem. Selfishness can actually be driven back and driven out. Arrogance is something we'll deal with all of our lives, as long as we're breathing. We're all going to think this phrase, I deserve it. Not only do I want what I want when I want it, but I deserve to get what I want when I want it. We all think we're more, we're more deserving than we really are. We deserve more than we're due. We've had a long day, a long week, and people should give me what I want, right? We're on a long trip. It's a big minivan, eight people, and you're thinking, man, I don't want to sit in the back. I deserve the front seat, don't I? So we just we work our way up to the front. We don't even ask anybody. We just I deserve it. This is arrogance. Don't mean to push anybody here on this one, but we've all taken that front seat, haven't we? We've all stepped up front of others and, and just we've deserved to have our own way in life. And this second heart problem of arrogance, it actually finds its way from our heart into arrogant speech. We start talking above others, talking down on others. Our ideas are more important than theirs. The way that we present things, it's just, it's arrogance. But, and to be really honest, last week I encouraged, I encouraged as one of the next steps to consider, consider, the next step from last week was consider the words that are coming out of your mouth. Consider the communication and ask the Lord to reveal to you, to me, what that shows us about our hearts. And as I did that through the week, this was what God was showing me. Arrogance. The communication is arrogant. And it's easy to say, yeah, that's arrogance, and not to say, I'm arrogant, and to personalize that. But that was what God was showing me is, wow, my speech is really arrogant. I am arrogant. In my heart, I'm arrogant. It's hard to own that, I think, for us. And, but this is, a, this is a core, one of the core problems that drives our communication. The third heart problem is this. And this one does more damage even. It's hurtfulness in our hearts. Look at the same verse, Ecclesiastes 9.3, in the middle. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, it says. Right in the middle. You might want to underline that. It, evil in, the, in this, what it means is just harm, evil, or hurt. Like, I am willing to, to lash out to get my way. It might come out in this phrase. I don't want to harm you, so stay out of my way or I will. We've all kind of said this, we thought this, we've done this. But it, it flows. I want what I want when I want it. I deserve to get what I want when I want it. And I don't want to hurt you, but if you stand in the way of me and my goal right now, then you're going to pay. Verbally, physically, emotionally, I might withdraw. We know how to carry this out. It's in our heart. <clears throat> and most of us, we don't set out to hurt each other with our words. 
But it's in all of us to be able to do this. Every single one of us. I was uh, on child care duty. I am a dad. I have three kids. And my wife was at a women's conference this um, it felt like the weekend, but it was a day. And so she was at a women's conference for the day yesterday. And I even commented, man, this is a long weekend to my buddy DJ. And cause we were kind of tag teaming it up for part of the day. He had his two, I had my three and we were working together as our wives were at a conference. And, um, I made that comment. I think, yeah, it's a long weekend. No, it's just a day, you know, and wives, you know, moms, you work really hard. That's hard work. You know, that is hard work. And I'm a dad, and, and uh, it, it's not getting any easier. And the day started off kind of rocky. You know, I'd get the kids to a baseball game and rushing through the house. And, and I gave, had to be at a game at 9.45. So I'm like, I got one, you know, I got baby in arm. I got Gavin just taking his time. Trying, and I'm like, game's going to start at 9, 9.45. It's like 9.30. We're supposed to be there half an hour early. I'm already late. I hate being late. And I'm late a lot, but I hate it. And I'm like embarrassed and, and Gabe's not cooperating. So I'm letting him have it. You can't play. Find your cleats. You can't play. You know, if you don't find, and he's just like, and I, I'm like, I'm not really going to fall through on that, but I'm just, I'm just lashing out. I'm letting him have it. Day goes on. Grace throws up on me and I'm having a glorious day and, and got to sit and I throw up for like 45 minutes until the game's over because I'm stuffing her full of food trying to keep. You know, everything under control. Didn't realize giving her way too much. And then I take her to the bathroom because Gavin has to use the bathroom. I'm holding grace. I'm telling you a lot here, but holding grace right in the stomach. And I'm apparently just agitating her. And she gets sick all over me. And it's just, it's not turned out to be a great day. We get home. I'm trying to hang out, have some fun, do some adult things with some adult friends who came over. And kids are coming up. And, you know, they have their stuff they want to do. And. You know, I wanted what I wanted. And so did they. Like we have four people, me and my three kids, wanted what we wanted. And so to control the environment and to get them to do what I wanted, what would I do? I'd raise my voice. I'd take it a notch up. I had the control. I was working out of this heart problem, you see. By the end of the day, like the day was over, and I'm thinking through my message, and the Lord quickly convicted me of, the way I treated my kids. And Erica comes home and she's like, I'll put the kids to bed. I know you probably need to spend some time by yourself. And I'm like, I need to do this. And I, I go and I just apologize to my four and seven year old. And um, just daddy was wrong. Daddy had a bad attitude. It wasn't you. I was really mean to you guys today. I wasn't getting what I wanted. And I asked them for their forgiveness. And, you know, they're loving. And they respond to that. But this is how this stuff looks. Like, it, it comes up from the inside of who we are. And we might think, oh, as I get a little older, I'll get this speech under control. But the truth is, unless we deal with the core heart problems of arrogance, selfishness, and hurtfulness, our speech won't change. And so as I, the best thing I could do in that moment, and the best thing we can do when, that, when God shows us, is to just admit it to him. God, I'm being arrogant. I'm being selfish. I'm not getting my way. Would you forgive me of that? I tell you, when I do that, when I go through that process of admitting my fault, my sin, and then clearing it up, I'm more likely to move in a different direction than if I just don't clear it up. I don't acknowledge where I'm at. 
But thankfully for all of us, me included, thankfully through Jesus, real and lasting heart change is possible. It's through Christ. He can set us and our lives in a different direction. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. This is an Old Testament promise to God's people where he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. See, their hearts were, they weren't soft and tender to God anymore. They were hardened. They weren't responding to him. And he said, I'm going to put a new, I'm going to start something new in you. Verse 27, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So God, he makes this promise. And he's saying, I want to transform you into a new, to a new person with a new heart. And the spiritual experience described in this passage actually is what happens to every person who trusts Jesus Christ in their life. We get to experience a new heart. The truth of the matter, though, is that our heart problems are still there. But Christ himself, he begins to change things. His Holy Spirit moves into our lives if we'll yield our lives to him. He moves in and he begins to bring with him the power for us to have freedom to, to actually not just freedom, but to move in a different direction. He brings the power if we'll yield and cooperate to him, with him. He gives the ability to move in a different direction with our words and with our speech. He, he, he moves in at the very core of our being, not just triggering the mouth, but changing us at the core of who we are. So another thought, to harness your words, you must learn to walk in the spirit, bringing change at the heart level. If you decide, if you come to the point where you yield your life to Christ and invite him into your life, his Holy Spirit moves in. And the challenge for us is to learn to walk in that way, to walk in the spirit, the scripture calls it. God's spirit is is our connection. And so once he enters into our life, a war actually begins inside of our bodies. Galatians 5.17 says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. So there's this war that begins. The Holy Spirit, he works in opposition to our old drives, our old nature. He intends to limit their operation. And the flesh, which is the old desires... That still battles, it wages war, tries to keep working against the Holy Spirit now. And we end up feeling tugged or pulled in two different directions. And that war that we experience is actually a mark that you're a true follower of Jesus Christ. If you feel that struggle to move in the ways of God and to move back towards the old ways of living, that's a mark that you have yielded your life to Jesus Christ. That's His Spirit at war, waging war inside of us. And you know... What we find out is this, you make the difference in the war because of what Galatians 5.16 says. What you feed, what you decide to feed, the spirit or the flesh, will determine what comes out. He gives us the ability to cooperate. That's our part. We cooperate with him. But what you feed, if you'll feed the spirit, that flows out in our lives, in our words especially. If you feed the flesh, it will determine that will come out. Galatians 5.16 Paul says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Or, <clears throat> this other, I just want to carry this through. Walking in the Spirit, really, another way of saying that is cooperating with God, with Him. It means you're conducting your life within the realm of His desires and His resources. And a friend of mine, a pastor, who 
he planted a church about 33 years ago in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, one, of, one of my mentors from a distance, really, um, he put together this little brochure. It's just called How to Walk in the Spirit. And there's copies of it back on the resource table. I'd invite you to pick one of those up. What this gets at is how to live in the realm of his desires and his resources. That's what it means to cooperate with him. And we want to just offer this to you. There should be enough if you grab one per family. They're on the back resource table. And what this really gets, is, gets at is how do I grow? How do I feed the spirit that is inside of me? How do I feed the spirit and not the flesh? This, this talks about what does the scripture say about growing and feeding the spirit inside of you? If you've not come to the point where you've decided to um, seriously consider following Jesus Christ, and I'd encourage you, on that connection card on the back, it says, send me info, the back right, top right, send me info about beginning a relationship with Jesus. That's really the starting point. Deciding to commit your life to him and to follow him, that's where the heart change starts. But then as you begin to walk with Christ, it's a daily journey, and that brochure really gets into it, a journey of intentionally choosing to use the resources that God has provided to actually grow, to keep feeding the Spirit. And what happens is over time, as God's Spirit begins to lead us more as we cooperate with Him, our words reflect a changing heart. And none of us are going to be completely free of blowing it with our mouths because it cannot be tamed, it says. But we can sure find victory in this area. We can, we can have much better days. We can have a lot fewer um, days where we get to the end and we think, man, I just ruined a bunch of people. I just harmed a lot of relationships. We, we can have better days. So I'm going to invite Cody to come up here, and Cody's going to lead us. I'd like to take, encourage you, if you haven't already, take out this connection card, and on the back, consider taking one of these three next steps and checking this. And the, in, in a few moments, our ushers will be coming forward, and drop this connection card in the offering. But the first next step to consider is read this brochure and begin cooperating with God in your daily life. It really gets it. How do I do this from day to day? How do I walk in the Spirit from day to day? Second next step to consider is take time to consider recent damage done by your words and then clear things up by asking forgiveness. If God has shown you something, even as we've been sitting here, some things that you've said that just have not lined up and you've thought, you know, that that did harm, that hurt someone, or it communicated some things about my heart, now I I need to straighten this out, I'd encourage you to not just cognitively think, yeah, that felt good to recognize some things and then go on our way, but to actually take action in some area, whether it's reconciling a relationship or having some time with the Lord, just asking Him to to forgive you for any of the things, maybe it's selfishness or arrogance or hurtfulness, that you just allow God to, to, to forgive you of that as you admit that to Him. The third thing is to Take this and study a little deeper. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 26 really gets at this whole idea of, of the fruit of the Spirit and what that looks like and how to keep feeding the Spirit in our life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, for the truth that's in it, God. We invite you, Lord, to keep on changing us, Lord. Thank you that this process isn't done in our lives, that, God, there's hope for all of us, God. Thank you that though we're, we're still sinful and we can do great harm and, Lord, arrogant thoughts and words can come flying out of our mouth, but thank you that you're not done, Lord, that you brought us here and that you're working a change in our lives. Lord, I, I invite you, God, just continue to, in the lives of people in our church, 
just continue to change us at the core of who we are. Lord, that we wouldn't hold anything back from you out of pride or out of fear or, or just even out of habit, Lord, that we just keep on handing you who we are and just allowing ourselves to be open to your correction, to your, to your plans, God. Thank you so much for this group that's gathered. And Lord, I pray that we'd be encouraged, Lord, that, that real heart change is possible through Christ. Lord, we ask you for power today to make application in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.